Good morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 18, and we will read that in just a moment. If you have a Bible, please do turn with me to it. Uh, as you're turning to that, um, the book of Proverbs, we're, we're jumping into the book of Proverbs and just help with just to orientate our little selves a bit before we, before we hear God's word read. Um, uh, the, the book of Proverbs starts by telling us exactly what it's for. Um, it says that these Proverbs have been um, given for gaining wisdom. And then tells us what wisdom is in the most compact of all definitions. Uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Um, and we wonder, well, what is the fear of the Lord? And we find that it's not, a, it's not a terror that makes us flee, but it's a fear that makes us trust. Uh, the fear of the Lord uh, is, is, is well, well, Proverbs 3 verse 5, one of the most famous verses in the Bible probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That is the fear of the Lord in practice, trusting the Lord um, in all of life, the life of faith. Um, that's what Proverbs is aiming at. It's aiming to bring God's people to put a deeper trust into their great Lord. Um, and, and the way the book of Proverbs works, it's, um, it's, it's set up as though there are a couple of parents who are they're, they're kind of preparing their boy to get ready for life. Um, and so the first... The, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, I, I like to think of them as kind of, I call them the sofa chats. Um, it's, you've got these two parents, and they, they take these time, they sit down with their boy, mum and dad, either side, and they want to they talk him through some of the challenges he's going to face in life ahead. Um, explain what, what's going to come against him, how that he can uh, react to those things. They're quite structured, the first nine chapters. Then, then when you hit chapter 10 in Proverbs, it feels like this boy has been, well, well he's he stepped over the threshold. He's been pushed out into the big wide world and challenges race at him simultaneously um, and the point is in these chapters where we find ourselves in the middle this morning these chapters the point is to help this boy and to help us to live a life of faith to trust the Lord with all our heart in all the madness of all of life so we're going to read Proverbs 18 verses 1 to 21 this is God's word let's ask that God would help us as we hear his word Almighty God, as we have just sung, uh, prayed as we sung for you, mighty God, to teach us your way. Uh, we ask that as we hear your word, that your spirit would be guiding our hearts into your paths, uh, that we might know you and love you and trust you all the more in all the madness of what we might be facing in life today. Amen. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. And against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of the fool bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to its inmost parts. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. 
to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The human spirit can endure in times of illness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Casting the lot settles disputes and, heaps strong and keeps strong opponents apart. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, can you imagine with me that, that you're standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus is looking at you. You are the focus of his attention, and that look is a look of love. Just, it beams out of his eyes, it's written in his smile. Jesus looks at you, and he loves you. And then he says, one thing you lack. And with just a few words, he identifies that thing. And it's the thing that for you is non-negotiable. It's the thing you, you prize it in your heart of hearts. When you're down, it's, it's where you go to lift your spirits. When you're, when you're scared, it's where you go to kind of rebalance your anxieties. When you're having a rough day, this is the thing for you. It's where you go. And Jesus pulls out that one thing and he says, you need to let it go. And when Jesus said that in Mark chapter 10, he was talking to a rich man. And his thing was his wealth. He had gained wealth. He had acquired and gathered and kept up his great wealth. And it was his, that was his place. It was his security. And when he was friendless, that's where he went. When he felt insignificant, he would remember his wealth. When he was unsure about his future, he would count his money. It was his thing. It might be yours this morning. Or it could be something else for you. It could be your health or your career or your family or, 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 or maybe it's some kind of distraction for you, food or, or alcohol or, or, or a kind of form of entertainment. The thing, you, you go there when you need a break, when you need relief, when you need comfort, that is your thing. And what if Jesus looked at you with his face just full of love and he said, one thing you lack, it's your thing, you have to let it go. It's not that simple, is it? It's not that simple at all. The rich man who Jesus said that to, he went away from Jesus. And he was sad. But he went away because he couldn't let go of his wealth. And so we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 18. Now Proverbs 18, as I said, is given to help us live out a life of faith. And it is a busy chapter. These chapters are loud chapters. It's like you walk into a room where everyone is talking at the same time. And that, that, that's what Proverbs 18 feels like. But I think the, the, the mood of this chapter is a mood of warning. And the force of it is illustrated in that well-known verse that comes right in the middle in verse 10. You see verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And the drama of this passage and the drama of the warning that meets us this morning is a drama of running to the Lord. 
run to the Lord. See, verse 10 is imagining a, a, a settlement, a, a town s- surrounded by fields. And, and, and there you are, you're working away in the field, you're planting your crops, or, or maybe you're just relaxing there with your family, and it's a lovely day, the sun shines down, the, the sky is clear, the birds, you watch them circle around. And then suddenly the peace is broken with a cry of alarm. There's bells ringing. Panic starts to rise because an enemy is invading. You can hear now the soldiers are marching. You look and you see their spears, uh, the tips of their spears on the horizon. And you, you, you gather up your family and then you run. Not madly or blindly. You run to the town because in the town there is a tower. This tower it was built long ago. It's got these thick, strong walls. It is impregnable against attack. This tower has withstood many, many invasions. It has never been touched by an enemy's weapon. And so you run to the tower. And when you get to the tower, the heavy doors are closed and bolted behind you. And you are safe. And verse 10 unpacks that picture. What is this fortified tower? Well, it says, it is the name of the Lord. What's that? Uh, Why is... Why are baked beans called baked beans? Because they're baked beans. That's, that's what it is. Their name tells us what they are. The name reveals the character of the thing. A name says what it is. So what is the Lord? Well, the Lord is his name. And the Lord is so great. He has many, many names. Uh, back in Exodus 34, when Moses is, is pleading with the Lord to show his glory, the Lord said, I will let all my goodness pass before you. And as the Lord did that, he pronounced his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. What is the name of the Lord? His name is compassion. His name is gracious. His name is patience his name is love his name is mercy his name is faithful his name is a wonderful name so why does proverbs say the name of the lord is a fortified tower well is it not because the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the love of god his name is what offers us an unshakable place of protection and so the righteous run to it That's what it is to be righteous. The righteous are righteous because they go to the Lord for their refuge. You see, the righteous are those who know two things. The righteous know that there is a real danger. There is something to run from. And they know there is a real safety. There is somewhere to run to. Real danger and real safety. And, and, And Proverbs 18, I think, works together to put its hand on our arms and to shake us shake us into that kind of righteousness so that we are those who run to that strong tower, who run to the name of the Lord. So so let's think about how the whole passage interacts with that call to run. What are we to run from? I think our passage helps us to get into some of the sense of the real danger around. Follow with me in verse 1. We're introduced here to an unfriendly person. This is literally one who isolates themselves. It's, it's talking about a person who, who kind of selfishly insulates themselves from others. A me-first person. And the second half of verse 1 says what this me-first person produces, they start quarrels. It's an, an aggressive word, a 
biting, teeth-snapping words. And, and it says this, this me-first person is against all sound judgment. That's, that's really difficult to get across into the English, that sound judgment. Uh, there are lots of ways you might think about it, but maybe the most helpful way for us to latch onto it is to think of it as salvation, but, but salvation in the whole sense, the, the successful end of all of life, salvation in that big view. Now back in Proverbs 2 verse 7, it says that this, this salvation, it comes from the Lord. He holds up this as a gift for those who follow him. Now Proverbs 8.14 says it belongs to wisdom because the Lord through wisdom offers this type of salvation. And then Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, says well the me first person is against all of that. Not just against it for themselves but against it for everybody. And, and verses 3 to 9 I think bring us into that me first agenda showing how, how it makes harm splinter in many directions. Verse 5 it shows the harm of injustice, wickedness prospering, the innocent deprived. Verses 6 and 7, that the, the harm where, where, speech is, where fools bring, bring harm to themselves through their words. Verse 8, the destructive draw of gossip. Verse 9, a, a laziness that brings a damage to others. Verse 3 says, when wickedness comes... When wickedness comes, closely attached to it will be contempt. I think it's showing us that, that the judgment of the Lord is closely attached to wickedness. All wickedness will get the contempt that it deserves. And shame, it says, that is disgracefulness, disgraceful behavior, will face the Lord's reproach. A, a picture is being put together for us, being painted for us with these snapshots. Where, where what is best for life salvation human flourishing in all of its senses uh, that is being attacked by selfishness by by the me first agenda it's being attacked through gossip and through laziness and injustice and through harmful and careless words and uh, and just through wickedness in all of its forms uh, and the attack damages everybody the, the perpetrator as well as the victim uh, and the picture is not it's not made up is it now, we know this world very well, don't we? This is our world. We live in this world. It's the world as it has been since the fall. And verse 10 says, The righteous, they run from real danger, the danger described in the first part of the passage, the danger of salvation attacked by the corruption of people splintering in all directions. In fact, the, the end of verse 9 launches into verse 10. The end of verse 9 speaks of one who destroys it's, it's that note of destruction that rings out the warning like a, like a volcano siren sounding out destruction. And so the righteous flee. They run. But what about us? Do we feel something of that heat of battle, that sense of danger, tasting the harm that bubbles from within us and comes at us from without? Uh, I think verse 4 is helpful here. Verse 4 says, The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. There's a contrast here, a contrast. On one hand, we have the, the ambiguity of the words of people. The, what we are able to produce is uncertain. Now, we know the world isn't right. 
we're not dull enough not to see that. We experience it, don't we? But, but we know it's not right, but there are so many explanations. Now, the whole kind of social media enterprise is driven by the sense that the world is broken, but then there's just a myriad of different ideas about how to solve it. The words of the mouth are deep waters. And if we're left to ourselves, we, we go through life knowing that it's not right, but we struggle to be clear on quite the nature of the problem and, and what the solution might be. And, and people offer, humanity has offered so many, so many types of solutions to the harm around us. But we need more science, say some, and some say no, it's more education, or, or we need democracy, or, or liberal values, or conservative values, or free love, or expensive love, or, or medication, or something, escapism. The words of the mouth are deep waters. But if we need clarity, we have to turn to the fountain of wisdom, to the rushing stream. We have to hear what God has to say. The fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the Bible is so clear, so clear that we are in a fix. All of us are, Romans 6 says, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We, we, we have this, this burden that pours out from us and it's so awful that it demands the the wrath of God our sin sets God against us as a destroyer and Romans 1 says that even now the wrath of God is being revealed against our wickedness and that harm it splinters in all directions and we're under the fire of it and it's pressing upon us and every one of us has to deal with whether or not we believe what the Bible says what it says first about the danger that we're in so ask ourselves do we believe what the Bible says about the world and what it says about our own hearts and the terrible danger around us. As Ephesians 2 puts it so simply and starkly that without God, we are without hope. The righteous run. Run from the corruption that erupts around them, the corruption that arises within them run from the harm and the damage of the world and they run, run even from the judgment of God. And where do they run? Verse 10, they run to the fortified tower. Run to the name of the Lord. The righteous know two things. They know there is a real danger to run from and there is a real safety. There is somewhere we can run to. The prophet Joel said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who run to the name of the Lord will be safe. And then in the New Testament, when Peter stands up at Pentecost, he said that prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled because Jesus of Nazareth, accredited by signs and wonders, has been nailed to a cross and he died. But then he's been raised, he's been released from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. And Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of God and the reason he has been exalted is so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we're to imagine ourselves out in those fields when the alarms start to ring and the enemy starts to approach and the terror begins to fall, but we don't need to panic because verse 10 invites us to run. Run because we believe there is a peril if we are left exposed to our sin. There is peril if we go on without God in the world. There is peril on every side and so we run, not blindly, not madly, but we run to the fortified tower. Why would we not run what about you now why would you not run 
to run to the Lord, to run to the tower, calling on the name of the Lord. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So why would you not call on the name of the Lord? Now maybe you've never done that. Ask yourself, why would you not do that? Why would you not confess to him your sin and trust his death and his resurrection, which were all for you? What, would, what could possibly hold you back from doing that? But for those of us who have, who have called, maybe, maybe you've walked with Christ for a long time in this world. Aren't we still held back? Now, wasn't there once a fire and a, and a fervency of spirit that somehow diminishes? Now, we are to keep calling on the name of the Lord. It's our daily privilege. It's our daily battle. Always we are to run to him. In every circumstance, we are to run to the Lord. Now, when we need compassion, his name is compassion. So we run to him. When we need forgiveness, that's his name. So we must run to him. When we're stumbling along in the dark, he is the faithful one. We must run to him. Always, we are to be those who call on the name of the Lord. But isn't that call so often just a whimper or, or an empty gesture or even it's just not there at all? Why do we not run? Why wouldn't we run? I wonder if our passage might help us a bit more with that. Now, what holds us back from running to the Lord? Our passage has in the centre this great verse, verse 10, and all around it we see harm splintering in different directions. Verse 1, that attack on salvation that gives um, tech, it's given texture in verses 3 to 9. But look at verse 2. Uh, verse 2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. We have here the person who loves to be hurt loves to have the attention on themselves. They speak over people. They, they always bring it back to themselves. You, you know what it's like when you're in a conversation and when the other person is speaking, all you're doing is planning what you're going to say next. We do that, don't we? Verse 2 says that's the behaviour of fools. And the reason is they don't listen. Uh, the idea of not listening gets picked up again in verses 13 to 17. Uh, verse 13 says to answer before listening, it's folly and shame. Verse 15 gives a better alternative. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. The wise are those who listen. Verse 17. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. It's not limited to lawsuits, is it? It's just a, a warning about jumping to conclusions before you've listened. See how verse 14 and 16 play off the need to listen? Verse 14 says, the human spirit can endure in times of illness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? I think it's saying that, to, to some extent, there is a limit to what we can manage. We, we get by on our own steam, but there comes a point where we are loaded with something that is too much. What do we do then? When our answers run dry, so, sooner or later we're going to run out of answers, aren't we? We have to listen. Verse 16 says, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. And that word ushers might be a kind of relieves the pressure. When we are loaded with something beyond us, we need help from above us. 
Fools don't listen. Fools jump to conclusions. Fools are hasty. Now, why would someone not run to the Lord? Well, the fool doesn't, because they don't stop to listen. Now, I think verse 11 gets even more under the skin of it. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. That's why the fool doesn't listen. They think they know better. Now, verse 11 shows it working out for those who put their hope in their wealth. They don't run to the Lord because their security is in their wealth. And they imagine. It's just a delusion of security. Now, when Jesus stood before the rich man and said, there is one thing you lack, it's your wealth. He, he was saying to him, in effect, you need to choose your fortified city. You, there are, there's a strong tower, there's a real strong tower, and there's a delusion of security. Choose where you will go, said Jesus. Will it be me, or will it be your wealth? But the fool doesn't listen, doesn't listen to the words of wisdom. They don't listen to the words of wisdom that tell them to run to the Lord because they think they know better. And so verse 12 says, Before downfall, the heart is haughty, proud. That's the tragic alternative for those who don't run to the tower. Those who are left outside the strong tower, when the enemy comes upon them, they will fall. Are those who stand in houses built on sand, when the storm comes, they will fall. And when those who die without Christ die, they will not see light. Are those who live without God in this world will die without God and face eternity hurt. But before all of that, says verse 12, before the downfall, the heart is proud. When the warning comes, the proud don't run. But the alternative, says verse 12, humility comes before honour. The humble run, doesn't matter how silly it makes them look, they run. The humble know there's only one hope, they have to get to the tower. And, and as they run, and they run, and when they get to the tower, it's when they get to the tower that honour comes. It's when they get to the tower that there is glory. So again, what about us? What makes it hard to run? What makes it hard to keep running to Jesus? You know, what, what is it, that thing for you that just checks your pace? Now that rich young man in Mark 10, full of passion, full of religious endeavor, he was full of good works, but he lacked the one thing he most needed, that Jesus was not his strong tower. What's it for you? What is the one thing, the one thing that would hold you back from Jesus? Uh, I read someone said, the greatest of challenges we face are Christ-clouding distractions. The greatest of challenges we face are Christ-clouding distractions. Now that's it, isn't it? When we, we struggle to run to Christ because we just, our view of him is clouded. We don't see him. Now, imagine ourselves there in, in verse 10 again. Maybe, may, maybe there in that, that verse 10 picture, we, we've been dealt some blow by the enemy attack. We've been, we've been hit and knocked to the ground. That will happen for all of us in this week ahead. One way or the other, something will hit us. It may be that we're overcome by some temptation and our sin bursts out. 
could be that it's just some sadness that blindsides us and it knocks out our breath. Or, or maybe it's just some long struggle that weighs heavily. And there we're going to be, out in the fields, exposed to the dangers. Can you see yourself there? And when we are there, what will we do? And licking our wounds in the dust will not make us safe. And building up some delusional security from our worldly riches will not make us safe. And just pretending that we're okay and everything's fine will not make us safe. Out in the field, there is but one thing to do. We must up and run to the strong tower. Because the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. We're to look at the fortress that has been opened up for us. We are to imagine that fortress as we run. We're to think there is no tower that is built like this tower. There is no stronghold that is held as strong as this. We're to look at the tower. Fix our gaze on the tower and see how this impregnable fortress has been shaped for us. You see, when we run to the name of the Lord, we are calling on the person of Jesus Christ. So as we run, we are to consider him and look at him and think on him and see how he has been shaped perfectly for us. We're to see him. Consider him as he set his face firmly toward Jerusalem. Now, even when he knew that he would be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, we're to see him as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he faced all the horrors before him. And there, before his father on his knees, he agreed to take the cup. He agreed to be counted as sin. And then he rose and went willingly from the garden and all the forces of hell were unleashed against him. But most awful was the heavy hand of God in judgment that came crushing down upon his soul and then he went up he went up on that cross his back had been torn from the beatings and his blood soaking into the ground and the nails that pierced his hands and his feet and the darkness fell and there he cried in anguish and then consider that even there on that cross under the shadow of death there was a man next to him a man who called on the name of dying thief the dying thief who said remember me he ran to the Lord he ran to the strong tower and the Lord said today you will be with me in paradise you are safe and then we follow uh, we follow our saviour's corpse cut down from the cross wrapped and buried and then we wait and we wait and we wait until that morning when the gates of death burst open. We wait for the gates of death to burst open and the king of glory to usher forth in his immortal splendor. Because Jesus Christ has overcome. Because here is the strong tower. He is the one we run to and it's hidden in his fortification that we are safe and secure. There is nothing that we need is not found in him. All of it, salvation and life and flourishing and happiness, it is all, all in him. And those who come to him are safe. Those who come to him are safely, safely held in the hands of Christ forever. There is no <coughs> sin that his blood does not cover. There's no sorrow that his resurrection will not overturn. 
There's no sickness that his life will not heal, and there is no grave that can hold those who come to him. So would you not run to him? Even now. Why don't we just take a moment in your heart, run to him, fix yourself on him. The name of the Lord is a strong, fortified tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are safe.